Out of the depths I have cried to you, O God. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Psalm 130, part of the Sons of Solomon discipline, not written for Joseph to pray while he sat in the depths of Pharaoh's prison, the very bottom of everything, formerly the favored son, anointed with promises, given visions of glory, betrayed, sold by his brothers into slavery, betrayed by the woman of the house, put into the deepest, rankest part of the prison, and there he is. What comes of your dreams now, Joseph? And it's not just his issue, it's the family issue. There's so much we can learn from the family dynamic going on amongst these wives and brothers who will become the tribes, who will eventually be the people from whom Jesus comes. They, back where they are at home, are uh, not aware, really, that Joseph is alive. Right? They have no idea. It's been some time, but we did skip over this part of the story. Uh, they did come back to camp with the coat of many colors, with the rainbow drenched in the blood of a sacrificial animal. And while Jacob wailed, knowing certainly his son was dead. Do you see the symbol and the picture that started with the rainbow in the sky and went through the sacrifice of Isaac and the replacement of that sacrifice with the ram caught in the thicket? And now here the dreamer who will be the image of the one ascending to the right hand of God in the book of Genesis, as Pharaoh is God, and Joseph goes to his right hand in this story. This dreamer's cloak of rainbow promise is coated in the blood of sacrifice. It's a story about Jesus. Hope you see that, because Jacob didn't. Jacob didn't. Remember how last week Jacob kept the word, right? Joseph has these dreams. By the way, Dad... You who had a dream about like uh, God wrestling with you and stuff like that, who've been given these promises at Bethel. Uh, I had a dream and the dream is you're actually going to submit to me before we die. And all the brothers scoff and dad says, that's a stupid thing to say, son. Uh, but he keeps the word. He meditates on the word. He contemplates the word. What does it mean? Is Joseph indeed? I mean, that's what he did when he gave him the coat. You're my heir. You're the one through whom the promises to my grandfather Abraham shall come. So you have these dreams, like I had them, and everything that came true to them then must come true to you, and now you're dead. Do you still believe the dream or not, Jacob? And the answer is very clearly, oh no. Oh no, he does not believe the dream. Not even a little bit. And, you know, Behind this, then, we really see it um, in uh, the text that we'll look at when uh, the brothers come home and they, they ask about Benjamin. We're going to come to that in the story here. Uh, but just see how uh, Jacob should know better by now. 
that if his son had a dream and he's the one, then he's going to be the one. And if it's not Joseph and it is Benjamin, then it's going to be Benjamin. And if God kills Benjamin, well, then it's going to be, oh, who's left? Judah. Anyway, right? And he's in the story too. All of this family dynamic, fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Um, but I want to call your mind to one more thing with Joseph there at the depths, okay? So we're going to start um, in uh, Genesis 40, verses 1 to 7, if you want to turn to that, page 33, while I, I talk about this, this next thing and the prayer that, that Joseph had to pray because he's a Christian. We know he's a Christian. That's, that's what it means, that he's an Israelite. And just because he doesn't have English psalms to pray doesn't mean that the cry of David in the Psalter isn't the consistent prayer of everybody who's a Christian throughout the history of all things, including way back when. And so we know that from the depths of that prison, Joseph was doing two things. He was praying to his, his God in, in his God's name, Yahweh. We know this. And then he was also taking care of the prisoners who were suffering more than him. We know this. And what I would suggest to you is that these things go together as a type of prayer that you can rely on, which is that if you are in a place you do not want to be, ask God to give you a way out of it that helps others. Don't say, I want out for me. Say, I want out for others. And then he may not give you what you're asking for specifically, but you're going to get what you're looking for actually. Because that's how he works. So here is Joseph tending to the care of the prisoners in the basement. And I might imagine I'd be pretty pissed off at the filth that I find them in and that no one else is here to do this and how inhumane it is, how godless it is. And I might just pray that God would give me the chance to clean this place up. And oh, look what happens to Joseph. He cleans the place up. Right. And he gets put in a position where he is now in charge of the entire prison. Uh, underneath, of course, the guy who's in charge of the entire prison. He's not really in charge. He just gets to act that way, live that way, be that way, as he continues to care for those under him, like a true king. And then the story starts, right? Uh, chapter 40, verse 1, we pick up. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And then verse 5, and one night, they both dreamed. Again, the, the question of dreams is going to swirl around in and out of what I say here. Um, but let's start with the, the fact that Joseph is given to these two prisoners as a personal attendant. This is called white-collar crime, right? You follow me on that? Uh, these guys are in prison, but not really. Not the same way Joseph was. Right? They're being taken care of because there's a good chance that Pharaoh decides either to bring them back and restore them or to kill them. In both cases, he'll probably want to see them, and he doesn't want to smell anything gross. So they'll be taken care of until he kills them. That's kind of the ancient way. Uh, kings did what kings did, so they had it the way they wanted it, and they usually protected themselves. Oh, these guys, what did they do to offend? I don't know what they did to offend, but there they are, white-collar crime down in the basement, and the dream comes to each of them. And we're not going to track through these dreams. We don't have time for it today. But 
what the story tells us, you're welcome to read it this afternoon, is that they're scared by the dreams and Joseph notices and says, so what's going on? And they, they tell him the dreams and he immediately knows what they mean. He knows that they are not just any old dream from the heart. We talked about that a little bit last week, right? And that the, the real difference is he knows this is a true dream and not a false dream. Most dreams from the heart probably are false dreams if we consider them prophecy, right? But this is a true dream, and Joseph knows it right away. It's a gift he was given. Huh? And so he tells them what it means, and what it means is that one of them is going to have his head cut off, and one of them is going to go back to serve Pharaoh, and things will go on just as they have before. Uh, and, uh, well, lo and behold, that's exactly what happens, right? Uh, the cupbearer, I think butler sometimes is the translation, uh, he gets to go back and serve the king. And then the baker, you know, the candlestick maker, all this, the baker gets his head cut off, right? Uh, Joseph tells the cupbearer, remember me when you come into that kingdom. Yeah. That was 1888 BC. 1886 BC, Pharaoh has a dream. And I want you to look at this a little bit here too. Chapter 41, you'll have to turn the page. We're just going to look at a couple of verses. Um, but 1886, and we can be pretty precise with this, not only biblically, the dates biblically that we have, but they line up with the actual archaeology out of Egypt. I mean, wouldn't you know? Uh, so 1886 BC, uh, it says to us, 41, uh, 1 through 4, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. It's a huge river, huge river. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows and Pharaoh awoke. Now, he falls asleep and he dreams another dream that's kind of the same symbolism. So we're just going to pass it by today. But look down at verse 8 now. Uh, so in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So... The Magi are worth looking at here a little bit um, because uh, Joseph effectively will become one when he's you know, put in charge of stuff. So as a title, the, the title Magi isn't a problem or the title Satrap isn't a problem. But what's hard to distinguish is that the governmental systems of every time except ours were basically religious systems. And might I suggest to you, ours isn't different. We just pretend it's different. <laughs> ours is a religious system too. Uh, but governments infuse themselves with religiosity to keep you connected to them. Uh, and the way they do this then is that men who study stuff a lot and know stuff like how to tell what's going to come next based on what happened before, they kind of rise in the eyes of those who are trying to reign 
Yeah, I'm trying to build a bridge, and the guy who knows how to build a bridge, it's kind of magic to me. He scratches in the dirt a bunch, and then a bridge shows up, right? Men work, of course, but what are those chicken scratches? I don't know. It's magic, right? That's kind of the way everyone saw it. And then like, it's magic, and oh, it's he does it that way because the gods require it to be that way, and he sprinkles some blood on it before he builds. You know, it, it was a really confusing place, and everyone kind of did what they thought. Um, but everyone also kind of knew that there were dreams that came true. Everyone just knew that. And that this isn't necessarily a holy spiritual gift to the Christian church then, right? Although it is always a holy spiritual gift to the Christian church in the created order. And I said a lot there for the people online who want to argue with me sometimes, okay? So if that, if that passed over your head, don't worry about it. Believe that God does work in your dreams. That doesn't mean they're all true, if you feed yourself falsehood, you're going to dream of falsehood. But if you feed yourself truth, you're going to dream of truth. And if Jesus shows up one night and says, remember, I love you, like, there's no reason to think that's not him. No reason at all. Now, if he says, jump off a cliff, you stupid, you know, well, you no, know, he's a liar. He's a demon. You're having a false vision, obviously, right? So the Bible is the confirmation of all of this. And it is your knowledge of the Bible and reading of the Bible that will enhance the likelihood of you having godly dreams, but now, it remains that God has the prerogative to do whatever he wants with this, and every once in a while, he decides to convert somebody this way. still happens today. Muslims on the far other side of the planet come to Jesus in dreams and then find Christianity because Jesus says, you know, this is your dream. Go find the Christians. Done now. It's not an ongoing thing, right? So th this happens. God does this, and God does this here to Pharaoh. Pharaoh calls all his magi, all his smart guys, all his wizards and sorcerers and engineers and, you know, accountants. It's all wizardry to me, right? Uh, so he pulls them all together. And we can kind of dig dip deeper into this. I mean, it definitely is going to be tied to why we need to be aware of witchcraft and that it's coming back in America and how wicked it is. We also should recognize that the real thing God forbids in Leviticus and in Numbers is the attempt to foretell the future. That's the thing he doesn't want you to do. It's okay to build a fire. Just don't try to control tomorrow with the fire. Uh, that, that's kind of the distinction between uh, trusting God and magic in the Old Testament. All right, They're always trying to tell the future, and then the guys who try to tell the future, they eventually try to talk to the dead. That's the other piece of it, which is it's breaking a barrier God doesn't want broken. But now here's the last piece on the Magi in Genesis. This one I can't figure out for the life of me, which is this. So Pharaoh brings them all together. He tells them the, the dreams that he has. They get together and huddle, and they go and they say, I don't know. And I tell you, if, if, if I'm not a Christian, and I'm like reading chicken hearts, to tell tomorrow, and Pharaoh tells me some gobbledygook he dreamed about, I'm making something up. I really am. I, I just don't see how on earth they say, I don't know, like, but, but they do. And there's an echo here, of course, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, right? And how he like threatens to kill everybody. That, that doesn't quite happen here in the text. Um, but we do have the moment where the cupbearer is like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that guy. I forgot that, that poor guy. Oops. <laughs> Left him in jail. Um, hey, uh, Pharaoh, I'm not even really supposed to talk to you, but since you're mad at all of them, I know the guy who can maybe do this, right? And so Joseph gets called up, and we're not going to, uh, for the sake of time today, uh, go through the dream because I want to get to the family stuff at the end. So I'll just kind of, I'll tell you it rather than go through by, on the text. Uh, so the dream of the seven cows, 
uh, is told to Joseph the dream of uh, the grains as well, so sets of grain. And in both cases, you have seven that are very, very healthy and bountiful. And then you have seven that are, are not. And remember, seven is not only the number of the week, right? So the number of the Sabbath, the number of God's rest. It is certainly a, a timetable kind of number. And then 14, the two sevens, uh, this is a number that builds upon 12. So it's kind of always for the good of the church, 14 is. Uh, and so you can see here, there's a vision God gives that's holy, that's set in time, and that will benefit the church. Uh, it is Joseph and his family at this time. Now, all Joseph has to say about this to Pharaoh is, well, seven years of good followed by seven years of bad. And then he has the manhood to say, and if I may, Pharaoh, hire somebody to keep a lot of the food during the good years so that we have it during the bad years. And I don't know how smart you think you are, but Pharaoh's like, that guy's in charge now. Like, like they, Pharaoh didn't think of it. Who knows? Would his majesty have come up with it seven days later? I don't know. But Pharaoh recognizes not only Daniel's forwardness, which is good, that he puts himself forward as certain because his God is certain, but that in this he has a wisdom that his uh, uh, meddlers with their tinkering toys and chemical combustions, they just, they just can't mimic what he just did. So he puts him in charge, puts him to the right hand, gives him charge over all of Egypt. Uh, cool text to read through, signet ring and stuff like that. Um, uh, he gets a name, uh, which I do want to try to get to um, and, uh, and talk about in a moment, but that's connected to uh, the rise of power as this is successful. So now, again, 1886, 14 years are going to pass very, very quickly in the story. Uh, and in this 14 years, Joseph is working every day, practicing what he did in the dungeon basement and for uh, Potiphar's household as a manager, uh, leader, I don't know what modern word you want to use, um, shepherd. Uh, and he shepherds the country uh, through these amazingly good times. Uh, and wouldn't you know, I, I saved this one for right now, uh, Senya Seret III, who's the pharaoh, in 1886, and has the dream, dies in 1878, first year of the famine. Now, this guy's talking to Joseph, right? So let me just suggest you get to ask this guy about stuff in paradise. Because he believed the dream, he trusted the messenger of God, he put it into practice in his life, and he died without having to see most of the bad stuff. Hallelujah. For Sennacherib the third, and may indeed his confession be true. I don't know. It doesn't say he testified of Christ, but I, the echoes there in the book a little bit, and it's beautiful to behold. There's a different Pharaoh on the throne, not as well known. Um, Joseph's rise to power will coincide with the last eighty to hundred years of the Middle Kingdom of Egypt and its collapse. Uh, I suggest not because of Joseph at all. Joseph actually makes parts of it last longer and keeps the second intermediary period of Egypt's history alive. I'll maybe touch on that next week. It's fun for you historic geeks, I know, and I love it. I love it, you know. But today, that's not really the focus. Uh, the focus is then what happens to Joseph as this true Pharaoh, Senyasera, puts him uh, up, up high on the throne. And uh, 
I'm searching now for the part of the text where it mentions Joseph's new name. I didn't narrowly write that note down. Uh, so it's going to be, yeah, let's see. Bro. 46, chapter 41, verse 46, page 35, bottom left column, where it says Joseph was 30 when all this happened to him. He's a pretty young guy to run a country. Yeah, um, He enters the service of Pharaoh as king, goes out from the presence, during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. He gathered the food. Joseph stored up. Um, verse 50, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Uh, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Uh, and uh, this little bit about her name is also quite interesting. Uh, that I, I'm not going to remember if it's her name or her title, but I, I do have to share with you that I think it's her title, Daughter of Potiphera. It's Daughter of Wisdom. He marries the Daughter of Wisdom. The priest of On is that something like, you know, the great God. He's, he's just the big God, something like that. Um, so this is all like closer to the flood than to Egyptian mythology, if you can imagine that. Um, and so he bears these these boys to him, he calls the name of the first Manasseh, for he says, God made me forget my hardship. And the second name he calls Ephraim, because he says, God made me fruitful. Uh, the name is Manasseh and Ephraim, forgetful and fruitful. Forgetful and fruitful are his two boys that he has. And uh, scholars, theologians, Christians wonder, is it, is it that he's forgotten his home? And he now has a new home and he's glad to be there. I don't think that would be wrong to see that. But I also want to ask at one moment, does he remember his dream? Because some of it's come true. But his dad's not shown up yet, nor the other 11 brothers, the one he's most afraid of being dead, of course, being Benjamin, right? What's going on in his head right now? Right. I don't want you to over-psychoanalyze it. I want you to be inspired by it. And to see in your life such things where God is indeed working and the beginnings of prayers are answered, but it's not done yet. And it won't be until the last day. So why worry and why hurry? Take the step, put your hand before you to the task you see and know that today is enough in Jesus Christ. And can someone shout me an amen so I can go back to the text? Amen. All right. So the names forgetful and fruitful are somehow tied to Joseph's awareness that it's not over yet. So we get to the part where uh, we read about it earlier in chapter 42, uh, where uh, Joseph confronts his brothers. The way that happens is the famine begins to spread late in the years of the famine. Uh, they run out of food in Canaan. Jacob says to the brothers, all of you except Benjamin, who now is, he was two. He's now more like 19, right? Um, he, everyone else go down, get some grain. Benjamin, stay home because I can't bear losing you. I remember Jacob's just not living in hope anymore. He really is living in the despair and anxiety of trying to keep his son alive, which that'll drive you mad, I think, trying to keep anybody alive forever. It, it will drive you mad eventually. Right? That's what he's doing. He sends the boys down. Uh, they come in to see Joseph, and we have that part that we heard read, you are spies. Well, like, put yourself here again in Joseph's position. Does he remember his dream? And there he is in, what is it, year four? And while the whole world's in famine, Joseph's eating steak every night because, man, he's selling grain like nobody's business. I mean, he buys Egypt by the end of this thing. Everybody, just, they just give it all to him. 
uh, so that he will feed them. So he's doing great. You know, imagine managers going here and there, clay tablets, this and that. It's a whole industry of grain proportions, and people are coming from far away to get their food. Uh, and then, but he's there overseeing it. He's walking by, and he sees in the front line these, these 10 scrubs. And there's a little bit of anger, probably the first thing he feels, I'd imagine. Uh, maybe some fear. He remembers being beat up a little, and they're the same people. Uh, brings him to personal conference. You are spies. What's going on? I'll, I'll tell you, I think he's just testing them. He wants to know if his brother's still alive. Because he knows what they did to him. No. And, and where's dad, by the way? You guys that greedy? I know one of you wanted his wife. Right? So, so he's like, who are these guys? And should I even feed them at all? But then remember, as we heard it read, that they had this conversation in Hebrew. And they're like, this is because we sinned against God and Joseph. And he's like, oh. I did learn something. And so then he gives the other test, go get your brother Benjamin, right? Bring him back to me that I may know you tell the truth. And he really means that from the deepest bowels of his heart, I think. There's ain't some ploy at all. He actually just wants to know if they're honest men. And if Benjamin's alive, then he'll trust them again. Um, so that's the bit of text I want to finish here with this morning. From the depths to the depths, uh, the end of chapter 42, as uh, they come back to, uh, to Jacob and are confronted uh, by him. Starting at verse 35, I think, is where we're going we're gonna to pick up. And they emptied their sacks. Behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. So it's a little trick Joseph plays on them. Uh, he puts their money back in their grain sacks, and then they don't see it. One of them finds it on the way, but the rest of them don't see it till they get back. And to them, this is magic. They don't think, oh, Pharaoh's told someone or Joseph told someone to put it in our sacks. No, no. They're like, God, who is punishing us for killing Joseph, now is just messing with us. Because he said we're spies and now we got the money. If they know we took the money, we come back. You, uh, you know what's happening. Torture devices and stuff. So they go to dad. They saw their father and he saw their bundles of money. They're all afraid, right? Verse 36. Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, right? Simeon didn't come back. He's in jail, deep in the bowels where Joseph was, bound in chains and manacles. I mean, I, I, did Joseph care for him nicely? I'm sure he did not get the white collar suite. Uh, um, what did he get? I, I don't know. The worst of the worst? You know, how did he treat Joseph as a brother when they were growing up? Uh, oh, <laughs> family dynamics again. A lot of wisdom in this stuff. Yeah? And so now you'll take Benjamin too. So uh, Jacob's lack of faith in the promises that he has received is becoming more and more evident as he idolizes Benjamin directly. Yeah? Um, all this has come against me, he says. Why is he cry out to God? Where's the prayer? Out of the depths I cry out to you, Yahweh. Where is it? So the stories of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, and onward, they're not there because these men never waffled at all or because they had no trial or because in their family, everything just went smoothly like robots all the time. There, there are fathers in the faith because they suffered the way we do. They were tempted the way we are and they believed in the name we believe in who acts for them. We see it in them now. We believe it shall be here for us. Huh? Jacob doesn't 
think that at this moment in the story, right? We're in the end game of Emperor Strikes Back right now. The story is not going to end on an up note at all. Reuben says, well, then kill my two sons. If I don't bring him back to you, that'll fix it, Reuben. Totally makes everything work out, right? But he doesn't, like, see the, the wisdom of the ancient world is so different than ours. They're living in a completely different place with honor and duty, the expectation of survival, the provision of food. Everyone knows, like we're three months away from starving. That's just how they lived all the time. So yeah, you know, dad, if you're upset about all this, we're going to try to get Simeon back. So take my sons captive. And if you're that mad, go ahead and kill them. If that's really what it's about now. And do you see what the idolatry of Benjamin drove the family dialogue to? Idolatry gets in your tongue and it makes you hate each other. He says, put him in my hands. I'll bring him back. He says, my son will not go down. His brother is dead. He's the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey, he would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the shoal, which certainly means I don't believe I'm going to bow before Joseph. Even though God has clearly given me plenty of reasons to believe that, given the story we've read so far. And I don't think this is to condemn Jacob. This is to show us that if we don't see the signs come true, we have a lot of trouble believing the promises. This is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a physical event in the history of the world is so imperative. That's why while the rest of the world is fusing religion and politics, Christianity says religion is history, true history. That we're, we're in a very different place than the rest of the world so that we don't have to despair like Jacob does. But whatever we find ourselves in, like Joseph, we can tune our prayers to the hopes of those around us in the belief that together, being people of the one true God, he surely does answer our prayers. I'm not going to suggest to you, you go home and pray for a pony and consider it a sign. And if you don't get it, say God doesn't exist. Okay, that's what a stupid person does with what I'm about to say. Don't be stupid. But I'm going to say to you that when you pray the Psalms in Jesus' name, you will inevitably think of things in your life as it happens. And rather than worry about whether you're right or wrong, I suggest that's why the Psalms are there. It's so these words and fears you don't know what to do with have somewhere to go. And they go into words and fears that always are answered by God. And so by doing that itself, you are guaranteed to see him active in your life in the days to come. The more the word of God is upon your lips, the more it's going to be in the ears of those around you, the more it's going to come back to you. And it doesn't disappoint. It doesn't condemn. It doesn't shame. It forgives. It loves. It uplifts. And it prophesies a hopeful future. So as we leave Jacob, where many of us find ourselves from day to day or week to week or month to month, where we forget, let's us now feast on that testimony that says that God does not forget that he remembers you. In the name of Jesus, amen.